says international students attending schools with online-only classes due to COVID have to leave the country or transfer. Movie theater chains are suing New Jersey over closure requirements. And we've got actor, comedian, and producer Jenny Slate with us today. The date, July 7th, 2020. The time, News O'Clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. Okay, Hayes, before we get started, we need to talk about how the U.S. is considering banning TikTok? <laughs> yup, that is apparently a thing that is happening. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo last night on Fox News said that the U.S. is looking at it. He didn't want to get too ahead of the president, but they're strongly considering it because of national security reasons. Okay, I'm sorry. Just like if they've already, I'm sure they, they probably have a vendetta against like Gen Z and TikTokers now based on everything that's been happening, but shouldn't they have learned their lesson that you shouldn't go up against them? Like if they try and ban TikTok. They will TikTok, storm the White House like it's the Bastille <laughs> if you get rid of their TikTok. Absolutely. And China will be like, yes, good. Continue. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, um, China, yes, China, a Chinese company owns TikTok, but they have a US CEO and I will be very skeptical of them actually trying to ban this whole ass app like mm-hmm. India did. I just don't really see it coming. Until then, cling tightly to your talks, I guess. <laughs> That's what the kids call them, right? Talks? Yes, you're hip. Thank nope. you. <laughs> Damn it. I had to guess. All right, we got a lot to talk about today, so let's go ahead and dive in with the top headlines. Here's three stories you should probably know about. One, the Trump administration has told international college students that if their school is online only this fall, thanks to the pandemic, they've got to leave the country. As schools figure out when and if they're going to open in the fall, some are opting to continue to keep classes online only to promote social distancing. That includes Ivy League schools like Harvard and Princeton University. Now, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, has said in a release that international students slated to attend schools where that's the case won't be allowed into the country this fall. They also said that students who are already in the U.S. and holding F-1 and M-1 visas should look into transferring to a school that will have at least some in-person classes or risk deportation proceedings. ICE says that they're just trying to enforce federal regulations that provide oversight over international students. But students are left scrambling to figure out how they're going to be affected by this new rule. Two, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has tested positive for COVID-19 after spending the last few months claiming the virus was no big deal. After two false alarms earlier this year, Bolsonaro announced on live TV this morning that he had tested positive. He reportedly had a fever and a persistent cough yesterday that prompted the test. Bolsonaro's response to the coronavirus has ranged from a casual dismissal to an impassioned rejection of the science behind the spread of the virus. He's even pushed out not one, but two health ministers in recent months as COVID-19 cases began to rise. Bolsonaro has also continued to flout social distancing and mask wearing guidelines. That's been the case even as Brazil is currently second in the world for coronavirus cases and deaths with 1.6 million infected and 65,000 dead. And three, the Small Business Association finally revealed just who benefited from the Paycheck Protection Program meant to shore up small businesses during the pandemic. And some of the names on the list are interesting. The $660 billion loan program was meant to provide businesses with fewer than 500 employees with the money to pay up to eight weeks of payroll costs, including benefits. After Congress set up the program in March, a flood of companies rushed to get their share of the funds. After weeks of pressure from Congress and reporters, 
the Small Business Association finally released a list of 660,000 companies that received at least $150,000 in loans, which is apparently less than a quarter of the companies who got funding. The list included several names that raised eyebrows, like uh, private schools, lobbying firms, several companies owned by members of Congress, some owned by the family of Jared Kushner, and a Yeezy, Kanye West's company. A caveat, though. Some companies included in the list and later contacted by news site Axios said they never actually even applied for the funding, highlighting just how slapdash the oversight of this program has been. I mean, none of that is surprising to me, especially, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't it that the government also gave a buttload of money to people who are not alive? Yeah, yeah, that is that happened to different program. But yeah, that happened too with the whole like stimulus $1,200 funding. They also did give out a bunch of money to people who are dead. So yeah, uh, it was really a shove the money out the door fast mm, kind of situation yeah. without really checking to see who needs it most. It was first come first serve instead of priority based. And this is kind of what happens with that. Oh, and looping back to Brazil really quickly, a fun fact there, Bolsonaro visited the U.S. Embassy in Brasilia this weekend with several members of his cabinet. So he probably had COVID then, and who knows how that's going to pan out. He most likely did. And also, I'd like to talk about how when you say a fun fact, it's not usually a fun fact. It's never a fun fact. I'm glad you picked up on this, Casey. This is my little uh, little habit to try and soften the blow of something terrible. So now, listeners, be on the lookout for that one. Okay, Casey, what is big in your feed today? Um, well, this is not great, but some of the biggest movie theater chains in the country are suing the state of New Jersey to be able to reopen during the pandemic. AMC, Regal, and Cinemark are among the plaintiffs of the new lawsuit filed last night. So New Jersey is doing better than most states right now in handling the pandemic, but it hasn't laid out a timeline for when it will begin phase three of its reopening, which would let movie theaters operate again. In the suit, the theaters are alleging that because some places of public assembly are open again, namely churches, that New Jersey is violating their rights by keeping them closed, saying, quote, the government mandated total closure of movie theaters is neither fair nor reasonable and is instead a violation of plaintiffs' First Amendment rights of freedom of speech and freedom of expression, equal protection of the laws, due process under the law, and is a taking of property without just compensation. I am not a lawyer, but that feels like a stretch to me. I, I, I just I love I don't, that this week we figured out you're not my doctor and you're also not a lawyer. I have no qualifications on this show. I just talk into the microphone. Um, but yeah, I just I don't really see this suit going too well. Like I get what they're saying and I get like the idea behind it. But at the same time, there is still public health issues to worry about. So I don't know how to balance Definitely. Those. And that's being in an indoor space with like air that would just be like circulated amongst the people that are in there, you know, not and a great situation. Know, that's bad. That is bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also, would people even want to go to the movie theaters at this point? I feel like I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I also would have thought that people wouldn't want to go to bars right now, but so sure right, exactly. I know. So I think there definitely will be people. And especially as it gets hotter during the summer, a lot mm. of people tend to go to movies for the air conditioning. So <laughs> That's you know, true. that's something to also think about. I, I remember very clearly back when I was a, a, on the younger side of my teenage years, my dad sent me and my younger brother to the movie theaters where so we could have air conditioning for the day. And we saw Jurassic Park 3 and then immediately snuck in to see yep. Planet of the Apes as well. <laughs> that's to a stay great longer. day. <laughs> it was a pretty good one. Not bad. Sorry for stealing the, what, eight 
12 bucks at the time, whatever. <laughs> it was honestly probably $6. <laughs> right. Um, so I have another story too. Mm-hmm. Halle Berry is apologizing now after she said she was considering taking on a role playing a transgender man. It all started when Barry appeared in an Instagram live with hairstylist Kristen Brown this weekend and was asked if she'd ever cut her hair short again. Barry responded that she'd have to in order to take the role in the unnamed project, saying, quote, it's really important to me to tell stories. And that's a woman. That's a female story. It changes to a man. But I want to understand the why and how of that. And yes, quick note, Barry also called this unnamed character a woman, even though it's a trans man. So the backlash came quickly for Barry with many comments reminding her that trans men aren't just women playing dress up. Barry apologized on Twitter Monday night saying in a statement, quote, as a cisgender woman, I now understand that I should not have considered this role and that the transgender community should undeniably have the opportunity to tell their own stories. Hallie, Hallie, Hallie. I know. And whoever, Hallie, 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 and also whoever told her to take this role right. or to consider the role. Right. You know? Name names, Hallie. Put the <laughs> like, it was it was my agent. It was this production company. This is the name of the movie, and this is who's directing it. Because if they came to her with this role, then clearly they're not doing the legwork necessary to make this movie in the first place. So I feel like we should probably know about it. I feel like when a lot of like actors or in the past have heard that there's like a transgender role, they hear like prestige, Oscars, et cetera. And it's like, no, it's not a way for you to get an Oscar. It's a way for a transgender story to be told with someone who is transgender playing that character. Yes. Yes, it is. And let them win the Oscar this time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. This is actually similar to um, uh, there's this new show called Love, Victor, which is the TV spinoff from Love, Simon. And the main character, the actor who plays that um, character isn't gay in real life. And they did this interview where they were like, I interviewed um, my cousin who's gay. And I'm like, oh, mm, okay. Mm. So all you need now is to ha- know someone who's gay for you to take that role. So it's de- obviously it's a, still a persistent problem in Hollywood, even though there's been so much backlash you can point back to, you know? Right. I One day they'll learn their lesson. One day. <laughs> fingers crossed. Maybe. When we come back, we've got special guest Jenny Slate with us. Stay right there, everybody. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, 
the bad feminist podcast of your dreams every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Today's guest is a comedian, actor, and now a producer, too. You might know her from shows like Parks and Recreation and Bob's Burgers, the movies Obvious Child and Zootopia, or internet favorite Marcel Shell. That's right. It's the one, the only Jenny Slate. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Wow, cool intro. <laughs> I mean, you did that, the, so yeah. Congratulations yes. for the intro. Like the one, the only? Yes. I mean, yes. sure. I'll take it. Are there it's many true. Jenny Slates running around Hollywood that we don't know about? <laughs> I, I hope not, because I, I hope not. But there is, I think there is another Jenny Slate who is a singer. And she very, like, graciously a long time ago gave me her Twitter handle because she was on it first. Oh, um, that was and kind. I, yeah, that was really nice. Really, really nice. I, I, I still think about that. That was like just a yeah. So I have I have Jenny Slate, and she has something else now. I don't know why, but it's really generous of her. Yeah. So congratulations on your debut as a producer on your upcoming film, The Sunlit Night. Uh, did you feel more powerful walking around the streets of Hollywood or at Sundance, where the movie premiered last year? Like, oh, excuse me, producer here. You can move aside now. <laughs> Gosh, I really wish. (laughs) That's a true, honest answer. No, I didn't at all. But, um, and there are like many ways that one can be a producer, you know? Um, Our movie was filmed in Arctic Norway. And in general, just to like get the equipment there and figure out how to get a crew to shoot there was a logistical puzzle that really took um, some genius work of Michael Clark, who produced the movie. And I I did not like, you know, figure out how to get a drone into (laughs) the sky, like, you know, things like that. But, um, but it is nice to understand the amount of choice making that goes into making a film. And I think that will stay with me even on movies where I I just show up as um, a performer. Yeah, definitely. So like you said, the film takes place in Norway where you actually went to film during the summer. How did you cope with the sun actually never setting there? It's funny. That's what people usually ask it with that kind of undertone of, did you go crazy? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I really like the sunlight and I, when I, I usually sleep with the light on, like if my fiance isn't there, I'm very afraid of the dark. Oh, okay. I've said this a million times and you know, but I grew up in a haunted house and it was haunted and you might think that's just a scam. Um, but it's, it feels very true for me. And so anyway, I really liked the 24 hours of sunlight. I don't think everyone did. <laughs> but I, I, I want to ask so many questions about this haunted house, but we lose so much of your time right now. Uh, yeah. So your character in the film, Frances, is a painter who heads out to the Arctic to try to make her art better and reconnect with herself. How did you find yourself connecting to her when shooting the movie? 
Um, I think Francis's central struggle of like feeling that the world is acting on her and really not quite understanding what powers she possesses to become active and, and, um, make decisions about what gets in her path are something that I felt, you know, myself like, Oh gosh, I really, I really feel that the world is powerful. I feel that my ambitions are powerful. I'm not quite sure what my central, um, abilities are yet. And if they even match what my dreams are and like, therefore also are my dreams inappropriate? Are, are they just not going to come true? Um, are they just like only fantasies rather than something I'm actually on the path to like get closer towards? And, and so I'm, and I'm a very poor visual artist. Like I'm very, very bad. Um, and I've just never been able to be good. And I think that's really weird because I, I genuinely do kind of like my personal taste. Uh, like I like what I like aesthetically, but if someone were like, cool, make a painting that you would want in your house. I am not able to do that. Yeah. Very fair. Yeah. I mean, same. I, people who can yeah. do that are basically magicians. I feel like, Oh, you yeah. took that canvas and made it into art. I went to one of those paint nights and it didn't go well. Yeah. No, um, I'm bad. I'm bad. Yeah. So, uh, Jenny, you recently made the decision to stop voicing the character of Missy on Big Mouth. And for those who don't know, Missy is a biracial character whose father's black and mother's white. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into that decision? Yeah, I can. But, you know, I, I will say before we speak about it, that it's something that needed to happen. It's not about me. Um, while I am not at all like, uh, afraid of it or afraid to talk about it, I don't think I should be getting any attention for it. If, if you view it as a, whatever you view it as, um, I think it should call attention to the situation at hand, um, which is, which is one that, um, many white people can immediately sort of like act to change. And so I think, I, as a white person, was looking around the world in the last couple of months and thinking, there's something that I genuinely don't understand, and I should understand it, and there's there can be shame and other feelings that come into that, but those are, um, at least for me, uh, the impetus to make the change. And so I looked around my life, and I could see very clearly where my reasoning was flawed and and, and racist. Um, which is, I think, a scary word for white people to say because they can feel like it means like, oh, I'm a bad person, you know, or I'm the same as the person that like drove the car through protesters. Um, and um, it felt to me it's not enough to be posting or to be protesting. What can I do? And so... So that's, that's what was up for me. That's, that's really great to hear, especially since so many people, when they do finally like make, ask those questions themselves, they stick with the shame part. They get to, I am ashamed of X. And then they stick with that without figuring out, okay, well, how do I fix that? Yeah. And you know, your shame can so often be someone else's burden. Like right. it feels, it feels so bad to feel shame, obviously, but that can quickly go to like, I'm ashamed you know, and please um, comfort me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, you know, if I, I, it's been interesting to me in this time to think about it just in terms of how, um, shame exists for me in my personal relationships. And that like, I know enough at this point, if I'm like, Ooh, I don't like that. I, you know, I, I, I lost my temper or whatever with my partner, the way to apologize to them and make it better is not to like hang my head and be a wet blanket all week. But to sort of be like, I did that. I see what I did. I don't like that I did it either. 
I, I would like to change that I did that, but I can't. So I'll, I'll just keep changing going forward and, and, you know, like making it better. It's, it's an interesting process and it's, it's, I think it's not just cultural or external. It's actually really internal and deeply personal. Mm-hmm. All right. So to shift gears entirely, we have to ask you about another role you used to play Catherine from your 2013 web series. What a delight. Right? For people out there who have not seen it. Everyone uh, should watch that. Sorry. I know you're going to give me the compliment or whatever, but Catherine is is one of the best things I've ever made. It's so good. I love it. Sorry, go ahead. So so if you out there have not seen it yet, it's basically an office comedy made up of like micro episodes, and it leans really heavily into that sort of aesthetic you would see in an after-school special in the 80s or 90s, or maybe your corporate training video uh the main character Catherine is bizarre and hilarious so jenny what was your inspiration for a character like that and what about the whole bit made it just so funny to you um i think it was there was like at that time it sort of felt like why are all the mainstream comedies like this sort of eye rolly like everything i don't know everything seemed like a verizon commercial to me and it, <laughs> it, it seemed like every every joke in comedy was like someone being like, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to freak out. And then another person being like, um, you're currently freaking out. You know what I'm like that sort of just strange exchange where the comedy super called out. And, um, I also had been watching a lot of twin peaks and, um, I was trying to say to my partner at the time, um, there's a, there's another zone and I'm sensing it. I don't know how to like describe it, but I'll just act it out for you. And I started to act out like improvise and act out the very first scene that you see in Catherine. I played both characters and he was like, Oh yeah, I get it. I know, I know what you're talking about. And then we started to write it together and then he developed the look and directed it and and really, really brought it to life. Yeah. So it was a total collaboration also in that sense with, with Dean Fleischer camp. Yeah. Okay. So Jenny, last question for you. Things out there are just really sad and scary and weird. What do you think the role of comedy is right now? You know, I think comedy is is often there to um, to let things that seem strange and other be somehow close and accessible. Um, sometimes comedy can be there to throw down the thing that feels untouchable. Um, you know, but it it is it is difficult because I I think you know. Donald Trump has really blurred the line between reality and satire. And a lot of things that would have been funny because they're so outrageous have now just occurred in reality. Um, so I think now, you know, comedy sort of functions, at least for me as a balm um, and as a sort of flare of hope that it's not inappropriate to still be smiling or try to find that weird underside of stuff. And um yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it is what it's always been. It's a comfort. Um, but we have to be really more careful with it than ever because it's also really powerful. That is a really strong point. Jenny Slate's movie, The Sunlit Night, will be available to watch in the U.S. on July 17th. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. What a fun, fun time. That's it for today. Tomorrow, cookbook author and founder of Smitten Kitchen, Deb Perlman, is with us to talk about the ways working parents have been left behind in the pandemic. And remember, 
I don't know what the word is for karma in Portuguese, but look it up and uh, it'll come in pretty useful, I'm pretty sure. Be sure to subscribe to Music Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of Music Clock. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes. Each week, we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, you'll hear hilarious stories like this. Fun that fact. was one of your things too. you brought back from Latvia. Yeah, I brought back because a hoop. all professional <laughs> basketball players. Yeah, it's like a little <laughs> seven foot hoop. Yeah, listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 9021OMG, visit Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happen. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've always had the feeling that there's something strange about reality. According to the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast, there is. On the show, hosts Robert Lamb and Joe McCormick examine neurological quandaries, cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and much more. Prosthetics are true testaments to not only human craftsmanship and ingenuity, but also to the plasticity of the human brain. Listen to Stuff to Blow Your Mind on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo.